Lord, as we come to you to receive food, the food of your holy word. May that be true of us. May we consider, um, as we begin this time of, of proclaiming God's word, that it is a time of feeding our souls spiritually upon the words of Christ. I encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 10. We'll be reading the entire chapter. Um, for those of you who are using a Bible provided in the chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page number 954. We encourage you to open the Bible and, and hear what the Lord has said. For those of you who are visiting us this morning, we're so glad that you're with us. Um, we are currently going through a series of sermons in the book of Acts. This is our 22nd sermon, and uh, we don't know how long it'll be until the end. Um, but we encourage you to join us back as we continue to study this book and to see how the Lord has used His Spirit to work in His disciples to expand the gospel, not just to His people Israel, but to all the nations. And here is the word of the Lord as we consider the conversion of Cornelius. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of the Lord come, and come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on that housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, let it be, being led down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean behold the men who had who were sent by cornelius having made inquiry for simon's house stood at the gate and called out to ask whether simon who was called peter was lodging there and while peter was pondering the vision the spirit said to him behold three men are looking for you rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation for i have sent them and peter went down to the men and asked and said I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, 
was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too, I am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before the Lord. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I send for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were opposed, oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on, him, on all who heard the words. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us, for our hearts this morning. Let's ask the Lord to bless the reading of this word and the proclamation of his message. Would you join me with me in a word of prayer? 
Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us the power of the gospel and the intent of your grace to bring this gospel to be heard by those who are far off, us, we. We pray now that you would use this gospel, this truth, to speak to our hearts once again, to draw your people to yourself, to draw those who are still far from you and bring them into your fold. We pray this in the name of Christ, for his glory and honor. Amen. Friends, I want you to imagine if you are a reporter. A reporter takes news. You are a reporter. Imagine yourself. You have to make a choice between two events that you have to report about. And your report will hit the, the front news of the newspapers. And you have to choose which of the stories will, which will you talk about more. A, a well-known woman who died and was miraculously brought back to life. That's option one. Or a well-known man who came to believe in Jesus. That's option two. You have these two events to think about which, would, which will you write about that deserves to be on, on the, the front page of the newspaper. What would you write about? What would people today like to read about? Someone resurrecting physically from the dead? Or someone coming to know Jesus? Well, last week we looked at the story of a woman being brought back to life. And we saw how even in the book of Acts, this miracle was quite unique. Physically speaking, there is no greater miracle than seeing a dead person come to life. So, normally, people would be more amazed by that kind of miracle, right? And yet, Luke wrote it for us in seven verses. When he gets to chapter 10, we see another miracle. The conversion of Cornelius. To the human eyes, this event is not nearly as flashy as with what went on in, in chapter 9. Definitely not deserving nearly as much coverage. And yet, look at how much coverage Luke gives to the story. 48 verses in chapter 10. And on top of that, the story is told again right after in the next chapter, chapter 11, for another 18 verses. And then the story is again mentioned in a much briefer way in chapter 15 at the Acts at the Council in Jerusalem. So if you were to compare these two events and to, to sort of see and make a judgment call on which of these two events were more important and weighty in, Peter's, in, in, in Luke's description, there's no question that we see that God considers more weighty and important the conversion of Cornelius and the bringing back to life of a physical body. Friends, in God's list of priorities, 
this kind of work is more important than bringing back physical life to a dead body. And it should be for us as well. But the conversion of Cornelius is highlighted for another reason. According to Jewish expectations, um, this man was very unlikely. This man was very unlikely to receive the new birth of God. This man did not have the right background for that news, if you will. He was a Gentile. He was considered unclean for the Jews, and yet God's purpose was to bring a new birth even to the Gentiles, even to such a man who didn't have the, the right background. The conversion of Cornelius stands as an icon that the plan of God's salvation was not limited only to the Jewish people, but to people from all the nations of the earth. But in this expansion of, of the gospel to non-Jews, guess who had the hardest time? It wasn't Cornelius. It was Peter. God had to work not on Cornelius, but on Peter to break some barriers that had been raised up. And this is another reason why this story gets so much attention. Not only do we have a picture of a new birth, but the Jewish people must be taught that this new birth is to be given to the nations of the world, to the Gentiles, which means that the Gentiles now are to be brought into God's family, which means if you're going to be a family, you need to start hanging out like a family. But how are you going to hang out like a family if you don't like to eat together? if you don't like hang out together. The gospel brings the people of God into the kind of unity that exists into the ideal family. Well, for this purpose, this story gets so much coverage. And let's look at what is the conversion of, of Cornelius about? What does it teach us? Four things I'd like to, to point out this morning. If you'd like to take notes, here they are. A religious man still needs to be saved. A religious man still needs to be saved. Number two, the gospel brings down prior barriers. The gospel brings down prior barriers. Number three, the gospel must be proclaimed for salvation. The gospel must be proclaimed for salvation. Number four, God gives new birth through His Spirit. God gives new birth through His Spirit. Here's the first truth that we realize as we look at the story. A religious man still needs to be saved. We live in a time and in a city when the social norm is not to interfere with religious commitments that people have. We call this tolerance. Don't interfere with what I believe. Now, everyone is entitled to hold to their commitments, and we should respect religious freedom. Certainly, we want to respect people's freedom of religion. But just because someone has religious freedom... And just because someone has religious commitments does not mean that their eternity is going to be safe. Also, it does not mean that what they worship is sufficient to save them. And this is Cornelius' story. Look at how Luke describes him. First of all, Luke describes his professional stance. He is a centurion, which meant he was a, a captain over a hundred soldiers, a man in authority, a man respected in his community, by the way, many of the Jews didn't like the Romans. Many of the Jews despised them. Many of the Jews were longing for the Messiah to come and put away the Roman enslavement. 
And yet, look at how verse 22 describes this Cornelius. Look at verse 22. He was a God-fearing man who is well-spoken by the whole Jewish nation. Now here's a rather paradoxical fact. Not only was he not a Jew, but he was a captain of a troop of 100 soldiers. And he began to worship the God of Israel. And he began to be liked by the Jews. What an unusual candidate to be liked by the Jews. Now, religiously, he was a devout man who feared God. By the way, the expression to fear God doesn't mean negatively to have terror uh, of God, but rather it's a positive idea of having reverence for God. The book of, of Proverbs describes this aspect of, of having the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. It, it's that kind of attitude towards God that acknowledges God's authority and God's control over everything. And Cornelius developed this attitude towards God. And not only that, he did it not just for himself. Look at what it says. It was Cornelius and his household. Here's a man who is so convinced by this fear of of God, this, this reverence for God, that he led his entire family to have the same kind of attitude towards God. And then his religious commitments, his, his godliness, if you will, his fear of God is seen also through his generosity towards people, and then the fact that he had an ongoing prayer life. He was praying to God continuously. Now here's the amazing part. This man, with this kind of background, with this kind of a professional and religious portfolio, still needs to be saved. His religion and devoutness to the God of Israel were not enough. Even he needed to receive the forgiveness of sins which comes through the name of Jesus. Now we could say, such a man definitely doesn't need more religion. He already has a lot of spiritual commitments, and everybody knows it. And he's so well known and respected the community, not just professionally, but spiritually also. Clearly, this man has it all. But God didn't think so. God's verdict is that he too needed salvation. So God sent an angel to instruct him to send for one of God's messengers. Friends, it's not enough to be religious or devout. It's not enough to fear God or to be generous or to pray. The greatest need of all people is to receive the forgiveness of sins which comes through the name of Jesus. And it's not just persecutors of the faith like Saul who needed God's forgiveness but even devout and religious men like Cornelius. Friend, if you consider yourself religious this morning, you might even think of yourself quite well. Look at your life, all, all the things that you're doing for God. You might still be in need of God's salvation. You might still need God forgive you your sins through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why God encountered Cornelius to command him to send for Peter who would tell Cornelius a message about God's salvation 
for Jesus. This was God's idea. Now, it's not always fun and safe to tell a religious person that his religious commitments are not enough. Did you notice that? Sometimes the people who are most offended are the religious people. Because sometimes those who know they're not religious, they, they know they're in trouble. Sometimes it's the, the religious folk, those who have been practicing religion for many years, decades, feel insulted that you would dare to think of them as still needing God's salvation. Friends, today one of the greatest dangers that's attacking the Christian faith is not the growing influence of Islam. It's not even the growing influence of secularism in the sense of America becoming more secular and, and losing its Christian culture. That's not the greatest threat. The greatest threat is not even the growing agenda of, 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 of sexuality and homosexuals. That's not the greatest threat. The greatest danger for the Christian faith is nominal Christians. Nominal Christians. People who act religiously, but who are not saved. Sometimes we are afraid of bringing this out. This weekend, a dozen of us attended the, uh, the seminar I mentioned on evangelism, and uh, Mac's wife, Leanne, gave her testimony that she grew up in a church that was very welcoming, but was not preaching the gospel. At one point, the church hired a youth pastor who actually preached the gospel. The church didn't know that. And, and, and this youth pastor started preaching the gospel to the youth. And the youth began to be saved. And there was a difference in the, the lives of the youth. And these youth were starting to talk about this change in their lives and about the gospel to other youth who were just nominal. And of course, others didn't really like that. And eventually, the church fired the youth pastor. It's not always safe to tell someone he still needs to be saved, especially if he's still religious. And the greatest danger, especially in churches in the South, Bible-belt cities, Bible-belt states, the greatest danger is people who are religious, who show up to church, or do their other religious things, but are not saved. The story of Cornelius tells us that you can be religious and still need God's salvation. And if that's you this morning, my dear friend, I pray that you would have the humility to allow God to reassess your spiritual life and your spiritual needs. Religious people still need to be saved. That's the first point. The second point that this passage talks to us about is that the gospel brings down previous barriers. The gospel brings down previous barriers. In this story, Cornelius was not the only one on whom God had to appear and on whom God had to work. God had to do some serious work on his messenger, Peter. In verses 9 through 20, Luke tells us how intently God was working in Peter's own life 
to help him understand what God was planning to do. God gave Peter a vision of all kinds of food, of animals and birds, and, and God commanded Peter to take and eat. Now, you've got to love God's timing. When does God give Peter this vision? When he's hungry. And that's why you should never go and buy groceries when you're hungry. Because you're, you're tempted to, you know, to buy more than what you think. Because when you're hungry, you're, you're ready to eat. God, he's <laughs> got great timing here. God gives Peter this vision about food, a picnic that God provided for Peter when he's hungry. What makes this all the more important is to realize how, how staunched and committed Peter was not to eat. Peter tells the Lord, Lord, I'm not eating. No way. Look at what he, Peter says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Never. And God replied, what God has made clean, do not call common. Now, if God told you that once, do you think that would be enough? Not for Peter. It happens not just once. It happens again a second time. And that's not enough. It happens again a third time. Look at verse 16. This happened three times. And this is not the only thing that God does. Again, God's timing is amazing. God orchestrates his vision not only when Peter is hungry, God orchestrates his vision when the men sent by Cornelius were just at the gate. Everything is happening in a perfect timing here. And then, just to make sure Peter does not miss to in, misinterpret the point, God, look at verse 17. While Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And then verse 19. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I sent them. God wants to assure Peter that he is in control of this assignment, and God is asking him to do it. Think of how carefully God is planning all this in order to move Peter to break down the barriers. Compared to how easy it was for God to convince Cornelius to act and send for Peter, when we look at how much it took God to convince Peter to go and to go without hesitation, it's amazing who actually needs more effort to convince. It's not Cornelius. It's Peter. Stott even called the story the conversion of Peter. Um, now, we shouldn't be too hard on Peter. Uh, we have to realize the Old Testament background, um, especially the understanding of the Old Testament Levit Levitical laws of cleaning, uh, clean and unclean foods. In Leviticus 20, for instance, God said, you must therefore make a distinction between clean and unclean animals and between unclean and clean birds. Do not defile yourselves by any animal or bird or anything that moves along the ground, those which I have set apart as unclean for you. Did you hear that? God set certain animals as unclean for the people of Israel for a season. Now, the Lord determined that these animals and, and their, their dietary laws would remind them daily, daily that they are a set apart for God, apart from the rest of the nations. Now, we have to remember the rest of the Old Testament, actually the beginning of the Old Testament when God promised Abraham 
that God's ultimate long-term plan was to bless the nations through Abraham's offspring. The point was not total separation. The point was to bring about this people through whom God will actually bless the nations. A time will come when God will bring the nations back to himself through the testimony of the offspring of Abraham. So when Jesus comes, God exercised the right to determine to bring down the barriers and to bring down the distinction between clean and unclean animals and to redefine what true cleaning and true uncleaning is. Jesus in Mark 7, 15 says to the Pharisees and the th those who are listening, nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Friends, this is one of the most important shifts in God revealing his way about what's clean and unclean. And then Mark said, in saying this, Mark says this, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. But Peter missed that. Peter missed that, clearly. Even though most likely he was in the crowd. And most of the Jews missed that. Even the church missed that. We'll see in the next, next chapter. But God was planning to bring the Gentiles into this family, into his family, and now the previous barriers had to be put aside. So God has to work on Peter's own heart. Now what was the spiritual value of bringing down these barriers? Why was it important that Peter was involved in this situation? Couldn't God just tell the angel to tell Cornelius the gospel? Why bring Peter into this and, and, and create this problem for Peter? Couldn't God just bring the gospel and bring the Gentiles to him without tearing down these barriers? I mean, couldn't Gentiles and Jews just coexist somewhat? You know, each one of them, they're minding their own business, their own way of, of cultural life in the life of the church. Couldn't God do that? Well, he chose not to because of what the gospel does. The gospel brings down barriers that are among people. That's what Jesus does. What good was there to bring the Gentiles into a relationship with God if the Jewish Christians were not willing to hang out together with them, to live life together, to eat together, to live like a family with their fellow Gentiles, brothers and sisters? The church is one body. The gospel creates one new family. Can you really be a family if you choose not to eat with each other? It's a dysfunctional family. If you can't hang out together. The whole point about this is that God is, is bringing together people who had major barriers between them up, up to this point. Friends, there was a time in the history of, of this nation when the church has forgotten this principle. A time when people of different skin, colors, could not be mixed in the same community. Even in churches. White churches were only for white people. And African American churches were only for African American people. Praise God, that barrier has been brought down. One of the things I praise God for the Southern Baptist Convention is that they have recognized that we have erred in that in the past and we have made a public confession of that sin. 
Because the church should not be a place where barriers between people are still held up. You know, one of the prayers I have for our congregation is here in Austin is this. As diverse as Austin is, I pray that the membership of this church will be more racially diverse. We want that. We should desire that. It is not good if we still hang out based on colors of skin or based on any other barriers. People who are old can't hang out with people who are young. People from different socioeconomic backgrounds feel like they don't have much in common together. That's why the idea of doing church for different socioeconomic or different categories or different demographics of people is not right. We want to do things together as one body because that's what Christ does. He brings down prior barriers. We are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God, whether white or black, rich or poor, hipsters or traditionalists. How sad that when members of the church continue to keep up these kind of barriers despite our peace in Christ, we're actually, we're actually contradicting the effects of the gospel. That's why we will not have two services on two different worship styles here. We're going to worship together. We're going to worship together. It's one body. Well, f- when Peter finally arrives uh, at Cornelius' house, he's rather surprised, perplexed of this whole thing. As a matter of fact, at the end of it, he says, guys, I'm asking you, why did you send for me? You've got to love Peter's honesty. Why did you send for me? So Cornelius answers. Con- Cornelius um, gives him a summary of, of the appearance of the angel. And then in verse 33... Look at what Cornelius says. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Wow. Now that a message from the Lord is about to be given, Cornelius acknowledges that the presence of God is there. Cornelius doesn't need an angel to convince him of the presence of God. For Cornelius, it's enough to have a messenger who brings the word of the Lord. And look at, at, look at, at this kind of hunger and readiness. We're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Oh, friends, what a great truth this is. When we gather to hear a message from the Lord, we are gathered in the presence of God. This should bring us chills. Every time. When we're gathering every Sunday morning and every evening, the most important part of our gathering is that it is in the presence of the Lord together. And it's not that these walls guarantee that presence or this facility. It is the word of the Lord being proclaimed and the spirit of the Lord being present through his revelation of himself. But our desire to hear a word of the Lord is also an effect, a fruit of the presence of the Lord among us. One of the ways, one of the ways that you can characterize the presence of God in a community is a desire that the people of that community have 
to hear the word of the Lord. That's it. Hunger for the word of God. A desire to be there, to be gathered, to hear from the Lord. The religious man still needs to be saved. The gospel brings down prior barriers. Here's point three. The gospel must be proclaimed for salvation. The gospel must be proclaimed for salvation. When Peter realized that what God was doing um, in this household and with Cornelius, um, P- Peter realized that the hunger for God. Here's what he exclaims in verse 33, 34. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, this verse must be explained in the context of what's happening right after this. The idea of being acceptable to God in this verse does not mean that Cornelius was saved. Because of his prayers or because of his righteous deeds. It really meant that non-Jews were now welcomed to hear the gospel. That's what the idea of being welcomed refers here. They're welcome to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ through whom they must be saved. I love David Peterson who says, anyone like Cornelius who genuinely fears God and expresses that fear by doing what is right in God's eyes must still come to Christ for salvation. Peter realizes that God is impartial to offer the salvation. And from verse 36 to 43, Peter goes on to give the message about Jesus, about his life, his death, his resurrection. And in verse 42, Peter brings this truth that Jesus is not just the Son of God, proved by his resurrection, proved by his miracles, but Jesus is the Son of God in the sense that he's also the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. So that the need for our sins to be forgiven is counted on the backdrop that Christ will come again to judge us, to judge the living and the dead. And therefore, if he's coming back to judge the living and the dead, what happens to our sins is of major importance. You see, if Christ would not come again, whether you're a sinner or not, if everything just ends at the end, who cares? But if Christ is coming back and he's going to take an account of our sins, then whether or not our sins are forgiven is a big deal. And that's why Peter began this sermon about the gospel, telling the crowd that to him all the prophets and witness, bear bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's the promise, that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That means, friends, that people who are religious, regardless of their backgrounds, regardless of their commitments, no matter how religious they are, outside of Christ, they will will not be saved. There is only salvation through Jesus. And this is not man's idea. This was God's idea. It was God who took the initiative to send the angel to Cornelius. God answered the prayers of Cornelius by bringing him to salvation. That's the point. So, yes, can you be saved without the gospel? The answer is no. There's no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. And finally, God gives the power or the new birth through his Holy Spirit. It's amazing. Peter didn't even get a chance to, you know, make an appeal to people to be saved. 
people didn't even have a chance to make an appeal to people to respond to the gospel. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all, all those who heard the word. And the, whole, the, the sign of, of the Holy Spirit was indeed a sign that God was granting salvation to these Gentiles the same way as God has granted salvation to the Jews on the day of Pentecost. Why is there speaking in tongues? And, and, and to, to point out that what happened at Pentecost is no different than what's happening here. That it's the same spirit, the same way, so that the church of the Jews will not have a problem welcoming the Gentiles, thinking that somehow they got the short end of the stick in this whole spirit deal. No, they got the same way as, as things happened on Pentecost. It happened now to show that indeed God was granting new birth by His Holy Spirit. You notice the Holy Spirit here is given even before baptism. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sign of God's salvation. And then Peter concludes by commanding them to be baptized in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ as a way to symbolize their faith in the death of Jesus, their faith in the resurrection of Jesus, their new life with Jesus in his death and resurrection. Oh, friends, that's why the, the conversion of Cornelius is a big deal. Because it tells us, it reminds us of these truths. A religious man still needs to be saved. The gospel brings down human barriers. The gospel must be proclaimed for salvation. And God, God alone, gives a new birth through His Spirit. If you would like to know more about this experience of God's salvation, perhaps you, you think of yourself religious and would like to really respond to Christ and have Christ rescue you from your sins, I'd love to talk to you at the end of the service. And for those of us who are still struggling to make sense of these truths, of the centrality of the gospel for evangelism, for salvation, there's no better place look than this story. Let God speak to us about the importance of salvation and the importance of the gospel so that God's people might be brought to him through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you that your grace is so rich and deep that it seeks people with the wrong background, with the wrong upbringing, and you bring them to yourself because of your rich grace and mercy. We pray that you would enable us, remind us of the power of the gospel, of the power of the Holy Spirit to bring new life. And remind us that when that new life is brought to us, there are no more human barriers. There are no more barriers among us that we should embrace and love and commit to the people who have been redeemed by the love of Christ so that we may indeed be one body indwelled by one spirit, proclaiming one gospel, worshiping one God. Oh Lord, do that among us in increasing ways. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. And then let us stand up and sing about it.